Yeah. Well, you were in college. You were I experimenting. Was in yeah. <laughs> Howdy! You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Texas is a land of wide open country. The piney woods of East Texas, the deserts and mountains of West Texas, the plains of the Panhandle, the hills of Central Texas. The landscape of the state is as diverse as it is expansive. While much of that land is privately held, Texans have always recognized that its beauty should be available to everyone and have been careful to keep some of the most spectacular land open to the public. Today we'll be talking about perhaps Texas's most spectacular patch of public land, Big Bend National Park. But first, what's your favorite flavor of Bluebell ice cream? Well, my favorite is Millennium Crunch, which is chocolate and caramel and nuts and all kinds of things thrown in the ice cream. It's delicious. Yeah, well, anybody that knows me knows I'm really a fan of elaborate flavors. <laughs> so um, my favorite Bluebell ice cream is always going to be Bluebell's homemade vanilla-flavored ice cream. You know, I really like the vanilla-flavored ice cream. It, it's the best. Bluebell's homemade vanilla is the best ice cream. It is the basis for all other flavors. However, I am going to say the chocolate chip cookie dough because mm-hmm. it's cookies and ice cream, but it's not cookies and cream, mm-hmm. right? which is better. Enough said. Eat all we can and sell the rest. Rich with minerals and other natural resources, the wonder of Big Ben has drawn people to the area since prehistoric times. Joining the national park system in 1944, Big Ben is the first and largest national park in Texas. It covers 1,252 square miles. Now, if you're out there keeping score, that's larger than the entire state of Rhode Island. It's located along 118 miles of the Rio Grande and is named for the large bend that forms part of its southern border. If you look at the very far left tip of Texas where you can find El Paso, the bend is just south and east. This dip into Mexico is one of those distinctive features that gives Texas its most pleasing shape. Big Bend is situated in the Chihuahuan Desert, and it appears largely devoid of animals during the day. It really comes alive at night, though, and displays this diverse range of wildlife, including more than 450 bird, 56 reptile, 75 mammal, and an amazing 3,600 insect species. The park's fauna is a who's who of typical Texas animals, including jackrabbits, peccaries, javelinas, and coyotes. It's also home to Mexican black bears. Now, this species is endangered, and Big Bend is one of the few places to host a sizable population. Also, cougars. There are only about two dozen cougars in the park, but approximately 150 sightings of pumas and mountain lions are reported each year. In the late 1980s, plans to reintroduce another predator to the park, the Mexican wolf, were suggested. These plans were rejected because there was some question whether there were enough prey animals to support the additional hunters. Of course, data on the park's jackalope population is unavailable. Not all of Big Ben's wildlife is mammals. The park is a birder's mecca, with populations of both the Greater Roadrunner and Golden Eagle found within its borders. It's the only area in the United States that is within the breeding range of the Kalima Warbler. Big Ben was also the first recorded sighting in the U.S. of a northern tufted flycatcher, a species native to Central America. This is a big deal if you're a bird fan. Of the 56 reptile species in Big Bend, 31 are snakes. Mm. Of those mm. snake species, there are five that are venomous and dangerous to humans, which is five too many for my taste. 
These include the copperhead and four different species of rattlesnake, the rock, black-tailed, Mojave, and infamous western diamondback. The non-terrible reptilian natives of Big Ben include several species of geckos and skinks, and of course the famous Texas horn lizard, which is more commonly known as the horny toad. Big Ben has more than 1,200 species of plants. Numerous wildflowers bloom in the spring, including yucca flowers, desert marigolds, desert willows, ocotillos, rock nettle, and lejugia. Of course, the Texas state flower, the blue bonnet, also grows there. Despite the name, not all of these flowers are blue, and both white and pink specimens can be seen from time to time. As might be expected, given that it's part of the Chihuahuan Desert, much of the plant life in Big Bend is one form of cactus or another, 60 different species in all. This vast biodiversity is possible because the park's geography varies wildly from beautiful deep canyons to the peaks of the Chisos Mountains. The difference in elevation from the highest to the lowest point in the park is more than 6,000 feet, and the environment is predictably varied. The canyons include Santa Elena, Mariscal, and Boquillas, all of which have nearly vertical walls cut through three geological uplifts of limestone. There are a few species that take advantage of this unique environment, such as the Chisos Oak, that grows nowhere else in the United States. Though Big Ben is deep in the desert, the vegetation in the park grows along the waters of the Rio Grande and the many creeks that branch off of it. Due to the geologic movements that form the Chisos Mountains in the Gulf of Mexico, there are a number of dinosaur plant and other fossils preserved in the park. Big Ben is one of three major areas in Texas that contain dinosaur bones, the other being the Panhandle in Central Texas. Big Ben contains the newest fossils, although oldest and newest are actually relative terms. The finds in Big Ben are a mere 66 million years old. The two major sources of dinosaur fossils in Big Bend are in the Aguja and Javelina formations. J.A. Uden was the first to gather a collection of dinosaur remains from Big Bend. He enlisted fossil expert Samuel Wendell Williston of the University of Chicago to catalog his findings, which he included in a geology report of the area in 1907. Williston identified at least three different types of dinosaurs, as well as species of turtle and of crocodile that were unknown up until that point. Ross A. Maxwell, the first superintendent of Big Bend National Park, discovered the greatest number of dinosaur fossils there in 1936. Paleontologists from the University of Oklahoma soon followed and employed workers from the Civilian Conservation Corps. Their finds were gathered and placed in a wooden building in the Chisos Mountains that burned down in 1941, destroying everything inside. Fortunately, fossils continued to be found in the area. They didn't find every single fossil and lose them all in a fire. Phew! Phew! Some of the more notable fossils from the park are those of a crocodile-like monster. The skull and jaw of one of these 50-foot-long behemoths is on display at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, while another is on display at the University of Texas at Austin. The remains of both a duckbill dinosaur and a dinosaur similar to a triceratops were also discovered. Some of these remains were the ones destroyed in the 1941 fire. Fortunately, this relative of the triceratops, the ahuceratops, is the most commonly found variety of fossilized remains in Big Bend. As many as 15 specimens have been discovered in a single bone bed. Remains of the appropriately named Alamosaurus have also been found. It was a herbivore similar to a Brachiosaurus, about 7 meters, or 23 feet tall, and 15 meters, or 50 feet long. More familiar dinosaurs like the Ankylosaur and even Tyrannosaurus rex have occasionally been found in the Ahuya and Javelina formations. The fossilized remains from other types of animals are present, including fish, amphibians, and mammals. In 1971, UT student Douglas Lawson 
found wing bones and other fossil remains from a giant pterosaur. This creature became known as the Big Ben Pterodactyl, but was later called the Quetzalcoatlus. Whatever the name, the Big Ben Pterodactyl was a truly massive beast. It had an estimated wingspan as wide as 36 feet and weighed as much as 550 pounds. Its wingspan is actually wider than that of an F-16 fighter plane, and when the creature is standing upright, it would have been as tall as a giraffe. This makes it the largest flying creature ever discovered. Today, you can still get permission to excavate in this fossil-rich area, although the process of getting a permit can be complicated and involves protecting the wildlife and beauty of the park. Extensive rules must be followed to reduce the environmental impact on the park, including prohibitions against wheeled vehicles, a limitation of only 10 people per excavation team, the use of helicopters to remove large bones without landing, and a requirement that the group enter and leave the location a different way each time. They're serious about keeping the park pristine. Big Bend has not always been a place devoted to the preservation of natural history. Up until the time when it was declared a national park, both Mexican and American settlers farmed, ranched, and even mined in the area. They inherited the land from the Spanish, who would use the area the same way. Even in prehistoric times, the beauty and verdant nature of the area in comparison with the desert that surrounded it was enough to draw several Native American groups. There is evidence of native habitation of the area as early as 10,500 years ago. The archaeological record indicates that these inhabitants had, unsurprisingly, a desert culture that featured nomadic hunting and gathering and remained essentially unchanged for thousands of years. The Chisos were natives who inhabited the area in early historic times, and the mountains in the area are named for them. Although the origin of these people is not definitively known, they did speak a language similar to the Conchos of Cahuilla and Chihuahua, suggesting that they may be related to them in some way. The nomadic lifestyles of the Humano also brought them through the area, but there is evidence that the two tribes were enemies. Both groups were run out of the area around the beginning of the 18th century by the arrival of the Apache. The Apache would not remain long, though, as they were in turn forced out by our old friends the Comanches, a group that had already pushed them into the Big Ben in the first place. European interest in the region started around 1535. Cabeza de Vaca was one of the first Spaniards to travel near Big Bend, and several expeditions followed after his legendary journey. Most of these expeditions sought out gold or silver, though others were also looking for farming and ranching land. Franciscan missionaries traveled to the area to save the souls of the natives. Several settlements and presidios were set up along the Rio Grande during Spanish rule, which passed to Mexico after its independence. Given its significance as a national border, the Rio Grande is naturally a place of military interest. When the United States gained control of the area north of the river after the Mexican-American War in 1848, they made several military surveys of the Big Bend area. Forts and other outposts were also built to protect settlers from Indian attacks. Ranchers came into the area around 1880, and by 1900, much of the region was sheep, goat, and cattle ranches. It was a perfect environment for ranches, as the native grasses were abundant, and there was plenty of water in the many creeks. Because of its seclusion, the land was cheap, allowing ranchers to buy up plenty for their livestock. The land was so abundant, in fact, that most of the ranchers did not even bother with fences. Unfortunately, the ranchers did little to control the expansion of their herds, and it did not take long for this horde of livestock to overgraze the delicately balanced ecosystem. I believe this was also the area where they experimented with camels. Around this time, other resources were discovered in the Big Bend. Valuable mineral deposits were found and miners and smelters flocked to the area. Farming started to replace ranching and the floodplain around the Rio Grande was settled and cultivated. 
Given the way the area was being exploited, it likely would have been irrevocably ruined had people not crusaded to preserve the unique and beautiful region for future generations. These actions eventually led to the creation of Big Bend National Park. By the 1930s, a movement was in place to protect the land that would become Big Bend National Park from further exploitation. Not everyone saw the point. Big Bend is quite remote, and the land is wild and rugged enough that its beauty was not always evident to the casual observer. In fact, when the Spanish ruled the land, they called the area El Despoblado, or the uninhabited land. For that matter, the ranchers who owned land in the area that would become the park did not appreciate the idea of having to sell it. Nonetheless, a group spearheaded by entrepreneur J.O. Langford, E.E. Townsend, and Fort Worth newspaperman Eamon Carter pushed for the park. Townsend had spent much of his life in the area, first as a customs agent, then as a sheriff. He was elected to the state legislature in the 1930s and worked with Carter as well as many other park supporters to have the area set aside. In 1933, the Texas legislature established Texas Canyon State Park. The name didn't last long and was soon renamed Big Bend State Park. In 1935, the U.S. Congress passed legislation that would enable the state park to eventually be acquired as a national park. Before it could really be opened up for visitors, though, roads, trails, and other facilities had to be constructed. Between 1934 and 1942, workers from the Civilian Conservation Corps, an agency created as part of FDR's New Deal, worked to accomplish this. One of their most impressive feats was surveying and building the seven-mile access road into the Chizos Mountain Basin using nothing more than hand tools and a dump truck. Conservation Corps work crews also built the Lost Mine Trail as well as several stone and adobe cottages in the basin. Most of these structures are still in use today, more than seven decades later. The original plans for the park included a hospital, a 200,000-acre Longhorn Ranch, a cog railroad, and resort hacienda. However, America's entrance into World War II meant that the resources for these amenities had to be reallocated. The plans were shelved and never picked up again. Even with all the work done to prepare the park for the public, supporters of Big Ben wanted more, and they lobbied to finish the process of getting it turned into a national park. In recognition of this desire, the National Park Service sent a team to evaluate the area, which endorsed the National Park Plan enthusiastically. Even then, becoming a national park was not a done deal. Supporters still had to come up with the money to purchase the lands that would make up the park, and they had to do so in the middle of a war. Fortunately, the state of Texas allocated $1.5 million to purchase 600,000 acres of land from private owners. The state turned the deed over to the federal government in September 1943. It wasn't until the next year on June 12, 1944, six days after the D-Day landing, that the Big Bend State Park officially became the Big Bend National Park. Eamon Carter personally handed the deed over to President Roosevelt. The park opened to visitors on July 1, 1944, and in its first year recorded almost 1,500 visitors. Big Bend is one of the largest yet least visited national parks in the lower 48 states. It covers just over 800,000 acres, but in comparison, Yellowstone is a quarter of the size and gets just as many visitors. A big part of this is because it's just so far from everything. The nearest major airports are in Midland, over three hours away, or El Paso, over four hours away. For those who do make the trip, though, the spectacular wildlife and awesome views make hiking and backpacking primary draws for the park. There are three trails which are particularly popular. The first is the Chimneys Trail, which leads to a notable rock formation out in the desert. The Marufo Vega Trail winds through scenic canyons on its way to and from the Rio Grande. 
The Outer Mountain Loop is a full 30 miles long and goes from the Chizos Basin up to the mountains, into the desert, and back to the basin. Other interesting locations include Santa Elena Canyon, Grapevine Hills, and the Mule Ears, a pair of rock towers in the middle of the desert. The 118 adjacent miles of the Rio Grande also draw professional river outfitters. Backpacking and hiking are almost mandatory activities in the park as there are only five paved roads in Big Bend. The remote location and pristine nature of the park combine to keep it free of the light pollution that is so common in the modern world. In 2012, it was named an International Dark Sky Park, making it only one of ten places in the world certified for dark sky gazing. The stars at night are bigger and brighter than anywhere else in Texas, in the heart of Big Bend. So, I've never been to Big Bend. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Big Bend. I have you, been to Big Bend. You have, Sorry, Sean, we're having a discussion here. Can you <laughs> let me and Scott talk about how we've not been to Big Bend? Okay. You have also not been to Six Flags. You though. haven't been to Six Flags yet. Hey, welcome to the What Hasn't Mike Done podcast. <laughs> I, I find it ironic that the person here who least likes outdoor things, and especially camping, has been to Big Bend and camped at Big Bend. Well, you were in college. You were I experimenting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... I, this one, I have a lot of good personal memories, obviously, because I've been to Big Ben, and, and it is a, it was a fascinating trip for a lot of reasons, not the least of which we left in the middle of a blizzard, uh, nearly died on the road uh, from hitting a patch of black ice. I was almost banned from driving for the entire trip in my own car. Don't forget about the mystery kangaroo. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, kangaroo. so here's the thing is that you take you drive from Dallas to Midland, which is a long way. Yeah, it's, it's if you look at the map of Texas, you're yeah. you're basically driving due west for the entire width of the state, right? Like the widest then, part of the state. Yeah, and then you get to a point in Monahan's where you turn south, and it's still three more hours to go. And so we're driving in the, at night, and it's pea soup fog between Monahan between Fort Stockton and Marathon, and we see this. I'm driving, you can only see like four feet ahead of you, and we see this thing in the road. And I think it's a chupacabra, but like we were like, I, I thought it was a kangaroo. I, I thought it was, or it was some type of kangaroo, but there was the, it, <laughs> the only thing is in my mind, the eyes looking at me were filled with hate for all humanity. <laughs> and so I know I wasn't the only one to see it because all three of the other people in the car saw it too. And we were all like, what was that that we just saw? So it was very strange. But anyway, you get you finally get to the park. You kind of go up these mountains, this plateau, and then you come back down into the basin. And it's like another world because we left in in March in the middle of a blizzard. It was still cold in Midland, cool. Then we get into over this hill, over these mountains, and it's hot. And it's it's well, actually, it's cold because it's night. The next day, when the sun came up, it got ridiculously hot. So it's like it is a whole different world from the rest of Texas. And it is like everything that you imagine a desert to be like, that's what Big Bend is. So so what did you go to Big Bend for? Well, we went, actually, the trip we went on was for a class that we took on dinosaurs. And so it was to go look at some of the digs that they were had done or were doing for the dinosaurs. So we actually saw the dig where they pulled out the, the Quetzalcoatlus dinosaur. The Big Bend pterosaur. The pterosaur. The, we saw a dig that was an active dig, and I think it was for the Alamosaurus, uh, where they were pulling some bones up, but there wasn't anybody working. So it was kind of a bust for the dinosaur th- thing, but... There's a great traveling show recently that came to uh, my son Colton's elementary school, and Dinosaur George is part of the PBS Foundation stuff. And they come, and they bring 
they're obviously not real fossils, but you know, they bring like these replica mm -hmm. fossils, but they had a replica of that giant crocodile oh, yeah. head. And they're like, yeah, this thing was 49, maybe 50 feet long. And you're like, it's, it's, it's incredible to see. The these head is the size of a mini. And they have, <laughs> but they have the maps up and they show you where dinosaurs sort of yeah. live and where they're found. And you're like, well, there's a lot of dinosaurs in Texas. Yeah. And, and the, the one, the, the Quezacatl dinosaur, the, the giant dragon, essentially. Yeah. yeah. If it would breed fire <laughs> and, it, yeah. Yeah. and like hoarded gold and like eight <laughs> townspeople, then it yeah. would be, I would not be surprised yeah. when you see the description of this thing. I mean, it's uh, it, they're just some impressive kind of neat animals. Yeah, and that's the thing is that is the Big Bend is just a an amazing place that it's that is is a, so amazing this part of Texas and we really got that feeling. This was obviously you know many years ago. Uh, you know, we took a little a ferry ride on a little rowboat across the river to eat at this restaurant in this little Mexican village, and uh, you can't do that anymore because of the border controls and everything, but. Uh, it, it was just a lot of a, a really fun trip, and it was just a great experience to to be part of, I don't, to have for be part of Texas. I don't think you actually made that trip. I think you're just remembering a Robert Earl Keane song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you're getting your stuff all, all confused. Well, so I thought it was a really cool part of the story was how the park kind of the the passion mm -hmm. people had. You know, again, it's like we did the story on the Confederate Air Force and some of these other things of, you know, somebody just sort of had a passion for a place or a thing and then they just they had this idea to, to let's preserve it let's let's preserve this piece of history and make it something special mm -hmm. right now there's a a ranch called the Powderhorn Ranch that is down on Matagorda Bay mm -hmm. and it's right near where uh, Indianola was it's yep. a big ranch opposite from that there's a a big campaign all of that land has been bought and the plan is they're they're in the early stages of what everybody's doing here, and it's kind of cool to see the parallels of even today there are people who are looking to the lessons of how Big Ben was started. They're they're mm -hmm. they've declared it an area. They're raising money. They're going to make it a state park. They're going to hopefully be able to turn it into a reservation land, and and they still have a lot of the original grave markers of the people yeah. on the ranch and the things there. So they're preserving all of this Texas history, but yeah. they're also going through the the growing pains of trying to make a new state park. There's a number of state uh, national forests in Texas. There's a number of national historical parks in Texas. So the San Antonio missions are a national historical park, but there's only two straight up national parks in Texas. One is big Ben and the other one is Guadalupe mountains. The interesting thing about the Guadalupe mountains, which is where the highest peak in Texas is, is that it's about a 10th of the size of big Bend. It's, it's, and it's a big park, but it's but Big Bend is just so massive. I mean, and Yellowstone is probably the most famous national park in the country, that in Yosemite. Big Bend, as we said, is so much larger than Yellowstone National Park. Someday somebody's going to make a cartoon bear, you know, a bear cartoon about... <laughs> no, a cartoon javelina. Oh, yeah. A cartoon javelina. In, cartoon in, yeah, there it is. It would be adorable animals and ranger pranks. Or... It, or Quetzalcoatl, <laughs> yes. Yes. Big Ben Pterosaur. Big Ben Pterosaur. The, I think it's it's pretty, uh, it's just an amazing place and a cool story. So one thing we didn't talk about in the episode, and probably the most, the most famous, like most people that actually think about that area, they don't necessarily think about Big Ben, but there's something famous that happens at Big Bend every year, every November. 
And that is the Terlingua chili cook-off, the world-famous mm. chili cook-off. Mm. And so, me hungry. Yeah, so Terlingua was a mining town from the 1880s to the 1920s, and then it went bust. They mm-hmm. mined mercury, cinnabar, which is gets mercury. And now the population is 58 people. It's a ghost town. It's, it's like what we talked about, the boom towns in, the, in an earlier episode. But in the 1970s, some crazy guy had the idea of having a kind of a biker chili cookout out there. And since then... Now, every November, between ten and 20,000 people come to this town of 58 people every November. And it's right on the border edge of Big Bend National Park. Well, if you've eaten it in Chili's, yes. uh, you've, like, they have the Turlingwood Chili. They have pictures of it all yeah, over the place. Right. But you maybe don't realize that you're, what you're looking at. Like you're no looking at yeah, you're looking at Big Bend. Just like Big Bend. <laughs> Just like Big Bend. It's like no place else. So if you're going out to Big Bend, be prepared to drive a long ways, but you will see... Some of the most beautiful geography in Texas and some of the most fascinating wild, wildlife and the darkest, most beautiful skies you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And in a prior life, before I had children, um, I had begun planning on going out there to do a big backpacking trip mm-hmm. out there, Big Ben, and never actually got to do that. But it's definitely on my list of things to do. And that's one of the things that I find interesting about it is that it's being a national park, it's set aside, you know, like we talked about they have very strict rules on where you can go and what you can take with you and um, just the idea that there's this pristine sort of maybe not untouched but preserved area of wilderness that you can go and visit what i visited in 1995 you will be able to see in 2015 or 2025 in largely the same way now i will say and it made a national bit of national news for the park last year um during the in October of 2013, when the government shutdown happened, the park was officially yes. closed. And a couple from Arkansas decided to say, you know what? This park is only the size of the moon. Let's go for a hike. <laughs> and they got lost and they almost died. Yeah. Uh, so it uh, it's the size of Rhode Island. Follow the rules. I'm yeah. saying go when the park's open. Yes. Follow the rules and you'll be fine. Yes. It gets very, it's very hot in the day and it's very cold at night all year round. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. We'd like to thank our friend James Abendroth for helping us research and write this episode. You can find him on Twitter at Blackguard Press and find his fiction work at blackguardpress.com. Tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas, Texas wants, wants you anyway. anyway.